the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. How is everybody this beautiful September 2nd? 2023 football season is here full full blast the colleges have started already um this saturday today we're going to have huge a bunch of games and uh i'm sure that some of you are going to get out there and uh and cheer for your favorite college for your favorite school last night of course the um high schools were in full swing and uh i'm sure that uh, you know we've got such great high school football in Texas. I mean, it's legendary. It is absolutely legendary. I love it. And uh, getting out to one of those games is really a lot of fun. Um, I hope you're taking it up. I also hope that it starts to get a little cooler. (laughs) Um, Now, let me begin by excusing myself because I have been fighting off some allergies. Earlier this week, here in San Antonio, we actually got some rain. And apparently what it did was it stirred up mold and uh, on Monday, I was just sneezing my head off. On Tuesday, I was sneezing my head off. Um, Tuesday, I had the great opportunity of going, um, or excuse me, on Wednesday, of going up to Georgetown. And um, uh, I went to, uh, to the um, women, Repu- Georgetown Republican Women's event up there. It was fantastic, my friends. It was very, very good. Um, uh, Debbie Wall, from the, uh, the president of the uh, Camino Real, Republican women went uh, as well, and she, uh, in fact, she was the one that invited me. We went up, and we spoke about what's going on at the border. Uh, Folks, uh, again, if you want to hear what's going on at the border, let us know. I am more than happy to come and speak, but more importantly, I want to talk to you about the second phase of what is happening at the border. Uh, What is happening, the second phase, my friends, that is what is happening in your backyard, the uh, situation that we've got, for example, last week we had somebody, we had uh, uh, Sheena Rodriguez speaking about uh, how they are trying to, uh, how the Biden administration is trying to set up a um, some type of, of health center in a public school, a public elementary in Fredericksburg, Texas, a little community just north of San Antonio. And um, I mean, uh, people have not been uh, they haven't been checked, and they're going to check them at the school. Uh, there was an article this past week in uh, in the New York Post regarding the situation of how <clears throat> people are very, very upset in uh, some communities in New York City where illegal aliens are being housed, and they are not vaccinated. They are being brought into the school. They are not vaccinated for COVID or anything else. Now, Take into consideration, my friends, that this is the same administration, the Biden administration, that's getting ready to start imposing mask requirements on us. They want us to wear masks, but at the same time, the, the, um, the, the border is wide open, and they are going to place people in your schools, in your public schools, that haven't been vaccinated. I don't know. To, uh, to me, that is the very definition of hypocrisy and treason. That's what it is. So let me tell you real quick who our guests are, because uh, we've got some great ones today. Um, we have Mr. Rob Hunter. He is, um, the, uh, he is half of the Russell and Hunter radio show in Phoenix, Arizona. And I thought I would get him on so he can tell us, my friends, from him, their perspective, what is happening in, in the Arizona area with the illegal immigration. We know what's happening here in, 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 uh, in Texas. 
uh, I wanted him to give us an idea of what is happening there, not only with the uh, open border, but also with the politics. Uh, we also have uh, Taylor Kramer, who was on last week. Today he's going to be talking, this is the second part of his of our interview with him. Today he's going to be talking about uh, the nonprofit organizations, the NGO, the non-government organizations, and how they are making money hand over fist from your taxes by bringing and helping the illegal aliens, my friends. He's got, he's got a bunch to tell us. Then we've got Matt um, O'Brien, who is going to be chatting for, with us. Matt O'Brien is with the Immigration Reform Law Institute. And Matt is going to be, he's going to be talking to us about the wall that uh, has been built by Israel to protect Israel. And there are several people, including my good friend Tom Holman, who has gone to visit this, the, the, and seen this wall. And my friends, it works. And so what they are saying, what Matt is going to be telling us is how that wall works and why it would be a very, very beneficial thing for us to have a similar wall on our southern border. Okay? So, uh, then our final guest, and this is a very, very good, and you're going to want to hear this, is Ms. Kira Talib Sanchez, the Clegburg County, Texas attorney. She just converted from Democrat to a Republican. My friends, it is a great story. You are going to want to hear this. You're going to want to tell your friends about it. It is heartwarming. It is what is happening, the reality of, of Hispanics switching to the Republican Party. My friends, so thank you. Welcome to the show, my friends. Thank you for turning, tuning in. Let's go to our first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got a new guest with us, Mr. Rob Hunter, who is with KFYI in Phoenix. He is a co-host of a program in Phoenix, uh, Russell and Hunter. And uh, they um, covered the, the news in that area, among them... The, what's going on at the border, the border crisis. And I wanted to get him on because uh, we talk a lot about what's going on in South Texas and in Texas. Uh, and we've got our friends up in New York and in uh, D.C. and in Chicago that come on and talk to us. But I wanted to get fi to find out what's going on in, uh, in, in Arizona, particularly a place like Phoenix, where he is at. Rob, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, George. Glad to be here. All right. Tell us what uh, what the border crisis looks like in your neck of the woods there. So in Phoenix, we have two really separate parts. First and foremost, migration. Phoenix is a hub. Some people stay, but many people go to other places. You mentioned New York. So a lot of staging here in Phoenix gets people to New York or Chicago, maybe even San Antonio. And then the second part, George, is our fentanyl crisis. Phoenix happens to be the main distribution hub of fentanyl in the United States. Last check, a fentanyl pill in Phoenix costs like 80 cents. Wow. Wow. Incredible. It, I have, uh, I've got friends in Mesa and, uh, well, I lived in Mesa and I also lived in, in uh, uh, up in the, uh, well, in the Tempe area. And uh, uh -huh. the, uh, the situation, I remember, um, there was drug activity going on already in Mesa. Uh, has it gotten worse with the fentanyl crisis? It has. You see it spilling over into our homelessness numbers, too, which don't just come from the border, but it's a direct result because the fentanyl comes up here, mostly through ports of entry, three hours to our south. That's about the distance for us in Phoenix to get to the border. And it comes here and it spreads out. So it has led to not only problems and challenges with migration, but the same thing with homelessness. So many people who live in the valley here, are get stuck on these pills and are ended up on the streets. So you can see that it has this big ripple effect, the border and migration. Wow. Yeah, the homeless issue uh, all over the place. Everyone is having a problem with, with uh, homelessness already, and uh, it seems like the illegal aliens are, are complicating the issue. Oh, 100%. Because it's all interrelated, right? It's, it's almost like, George, this is an underground world, which many of us never really get to see because we might just drive by it or... We don't see it outside of our office, except for maybe the occasional homeless person standing on the street while we get to work. So I think that that's just part of it, too, is as we go about our daily lives as normal people, you have all this activity that reverberates out that stems specifically from the border and this administration's, I guess we'll call them policies, but they don't see much of that. Wow. The, um, the other question that I had for you is that uh, we have we have had... Um, 
a couple of sheriffs from uh, from Arizona on the show uh, talking about um, the uh, just the illegal entry through the border. Um, now, uh, have you been to the border and have you seen any kind of difference in, in what it's looking like at this point? It's a great question. I'll give you a good comparison. So, George, I first moved to Arizona in 2007 and I thought it would be a great idea because migration was a huge issue then. I said, why don't we become illegal immigrants and walk across the border and walk in the desert? 2007, completely different, right? The drug cartels were not in control. And we did some crazy stuff. We went into Mexico. We talked to these coyotes, which really were lookouts. So they were looking for Border Patrol vehicles to give people a pathway. We went to this other town in 2007 called El Sasabe. It's right across the border. So you're on the U.S. side. You have Sasabe. Going to El Sasabe, you go from a paved road to a dirt road. And there was this warehouse where there was, I don't know, 100 people waiting for nightfall to be able to cross into Arizona back then illegally fast forward to now the things we did in 2007 no way we could do now because the drug cartels are in control so they're making billions of dollars (laughs) which they then use to create more fentanyl which they send more into the united states so the last time we went it was also different too because in 2007 you had to kind of sneak around you know there were holes in the fence there was barbed wires easy to get around now you don't even have to do that you just turn yourself into border patrol so the last time we were in yuma arizona you can just watch people all day long, just stream across. There's a dam there, the Morales Dam. You cross over it. You're in the United States. You turn yourself into Border Patrol, and there you go. We met uh, people from Cuba. We saw evidence of people from China wow. and all over the world. It's absolutely wild down there. It, it really is. I mean, people don't understand sometimes how the entire world is coming to our neighbor, to our, to our border. Uh, l- let me ask you also about this, because here in San Antonio, uh, we've had uh, our illustrious Democrat congressman, uh, Joaquin Castro, go down to the border recently and practically do the same pose that AOC did when she heard that children, yeah, when she heard the children were being caged, she, uh, she cried at the fence. And he went and he cried at these um, uh, boys that we've got in the, in the river in, in the Rio Grande. Has uh, Grijalva, the um, the congressman from uh, uh, the Democrat congressman from um, uh, Phoenix, has he carried on in any form like that uh, political theater? <laughs> I think his normal act is political theaters, but nothing outside of the ordinary for him. In fact, I haven't even heard him talk about the border at all. That's amazing. Despite <laughs> it, well, it, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's it's a major challenge in Arizona, like it is for you guys in Texas. And most of our Congress people just, eh, whatever. Because I think, I can't remember our makeup. I think we have three or four Democrats out of our total congressional representation. And they don't often like to talk about the border because it makes Biden and them look bad. Oh, gosh. It's like talking about the economy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's amazing. It, you know, they really, they they had no interest there. There has been zero said uh, about the border until the uh, border wall or, the, or these voids started going up, and they were effective. They have been effective. I mean, they, they, they obviously were, were, were curtailing some of, the, uh, uh, some of the migration, and I guess that's why they got upset. But uh, until, I guess, uh, something is done similarly in, in Arizona, he's not gonna, Grijalva's not going to say very much, I guess. No, I mean, silence seems to be a good strategy for Democrats on several issues right now. So that trend kind of continues. And I think that that's the real tragedy of it, George, is that you know, it's not just the people, right? Because the people come here, and I think they have this vision and idea of what it's going to be like for them in America. And it's often not that. It's not like the movies, right? Coming here, not speaking the language, living in a city you've never been to. Maybe it's New York, maybe it's Chicago, maybe it's San Antonio. And you have to try to figure out how to survive and how to make a living. And all of that stuff is difficult to do when you're inserted into a new culture. And oftentimes it's mired in poverty. It's mired in, you know, logistical and language challenges. That's the part that nobody really sees and no one really spends a lot of time investigating or talking about. But that's very apparent to me when you see what's happening in New York and Chicago and here in Phoenix. Well, wow. one last question before we let you go. Here in in, uh, in Austin, which we now classify as Berkeley, Texas, uh, <laughs> it is it, they have effectively defunded the police. 
while at the same time they have wide openly uh, praised and accepted uh, the migrants, the illegal aliens coming into their community. Uh, do you see a problem with defunding the police and leaving the the, the border wide open? <laughs> oh, it's just, it seems to be a parallel, I think, George, in that there is that attitude on many people on the Democrat side that just think that all the enforcement parts of law should just be taken out. Unless, of course, you can use it against, I don't know, maybe a former president. Oh, or yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's what's so funny to me is that you know, that's that message that I think if the Republicans are smart, can use that to their advantage coming up in the next election. Oh, no, no, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, if, if, if people can't see uh, the connection and, and, and look at and connect the dots there, I mean, it just is amazing to me. Listen, we're going to let you go, but uh, tell the folks where uh, where they can find you, uh, how they can listen to you. 550 KFYI. If you download your iHeartRadio app, you can check it out there. You can just type in KFYI. It'll pull up. That's probably the easiest way. But we are Russell and Hunter, my co-host, Mike Russell, myself, Rob Hunter. And uh, we also have a podcast called The Brewman's Non-Politics, George. We crack open beers and we just have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be fun to listen to. We'll, we'll, we'll check it out. We'll check it out. Folks, we've been speaking with Mr. Rob Hunter uh, from Phoenix, Arizona, from KFYI in Phoenix. The Russell and, he is the Russell part of the Russell and Hunter Show. Thank you very, very much for, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, George. Thank you. Once again, we're going to get you back on, buddy, soon. All righty? Absolutely. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. And uh, we've got our good friend, Mr. Taylor Kramer, who was on the show last week, chatted for a little while with him. He covers uh, the border area in uh, in the McAllen, Harlingen, Brownsville area. I wanted to get him back on because I want him to tell us a little bit more about what he has discovered regarding Catholic charities, these nonprofits that are, um, for lack of better, for, for an accurate description, my friends, they are trafficking the illegal aliens once they, get, once they cross the river. Taylor, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Tell us, uh, tell us about the nonprofits. Tell us about Catholic charities in particular. Well, yeah, nonprofits, these NGOs, why do they call them NGOs? It says it right in the name. They're non-government. But, but there's a lot of things that are non-government, like a bakery is non-government, right? But you wouldn't consider that an NGO. Well, you know, it's all in the name. So, you know, how did Hillary hide her stuff? Private servers, right? Right. I mean, same thing with Bush, the Iran-Contra um, scandal. You know, that was arms trafficking and drug trafficking. You know, they, they were communicating on private servers even back then. So how does the government do unconstitutional legal things? Privately. Uh, and what do you need? You need a good, clean, organized channel of money. And religious exemptions really help hide that stuff, too. So, you know, these organizations have been, you know, this is nothing new. You look back from a three-year period from 2012 to 2015, $1.6 billion was given to the Catholic Church from the government. Wow. $1.6 billion just in a three-year period. Now, back and it goes back much further. There was a former senator, uh, Daniel Moynihan from New York, and in 1980, he said that the government funded 50% of Catholic Charities' budget. And he went on to say Catholic Charities USA receives about 65% of its annual budget from Fed and state government. So this has been going on for a very long time. So if you want to continue a flow of illegal immigrants into the country, um, you know, no matter what administration, no matter what else is going on in the government, because, you know, governments fluctuate, you always have your NGOs right there to help you out. And it's a way to do things the government wants to do. And they can, you know, basically just hand off the blame or hand off, you know, any, um, you know, any uh, anything that they would have to do uh, to, to answer to that. Amazing. Amazing. Now, Catholic Charities... Um I mean, uh, you, you, if you get a Christian organization, obviously a religious organization, it's going to make it look a lot easier. But in actuality, I mean, first of all, these people that are crossing the river um, have no authority to come in. So Correct. right off the bat, they're illegal aliens. Once they cross the river, um, then then what? So you cross the river. So let's say you're this time around because this is what you see most people do. They're asylum seekers. They go wave down Border Patrol and they tell you to wait there. They 
process you, you know, take you back to the to whatever facility and they process you. They can only hold you for a certain amount of time. And, uh, you know, we like to we like to use our contacts and DHS and everything else to say, OK, it's only 72 hours. It's only this long. Right now, under this administration, we all need to realize no matter what the rules are set in place, no rules are being followed. So, you know, we say 72 hours, but it changes every day. Um, but for there's a certain amount of time Border Patrol will hold them and they need to dump them off somewhere else. And that's what Catholic Charities does. So uh, recently, DHS gave Catholic Charities in Austin $250,000. Um, it was a citizenship education grant. And if you remember, a lot of money was allocated to DHS recently, but none of it was allowed to go to border security. It was all into processing. So it's another way, just like Ukraine or anything else, hey, what's the thing we can do where we can dump money off into an NGO and, and, and just continue to grease the wheels that way? Amazing. The, uh, the situation then for this processing that, that, that we keep hearing about, uh, this processing is uh, nothing more than, I guess, just taking names and providing information and then moving them out. So when I was in Eagle Pass, I started, and that was, you know, over a year ago, I started to see Border Patrol agents and Customs agents with cell phones, and they would take pictures of everybody. Um, They are using biometric technology to try to get a read on people, but... You know, honestly, if you do not have a record in the United States, there's no way for them to truly know who you are. So you come across that river and you dump all of your stuff. And I've seen it time and time again where they'll say, oh, I accidentally lost my stuff in the river. I have nothing now. And you can come into this country with a new name, you know, with whatever you want. You can cast off all your felonies and everything else and be placed in, you know, Catholic Charities right next to, I don't know, a single mother with with young children. And you could be, you know, just the worst worst incarcerated criminal in your home country and here you're you're free to go we have uh seen uh recently where uh isis sympathizers uh have been uh uh helping to traffic people where uh terrorists occasionally have been caught and definitely where whenever possible there have been uh people um that uh had lengthy uh, arrest records in the United States uh, been caught coming back in. Uh, none of these people, I mean, there is no way that uh, you can accurately tell if these people are dangerous or not from the way that they are processed, correct? Yes. Um, so what I do on the border is I try to, you know, I do the best I can with trying to talk to people in Venezuela, stuff like that, or people that are just kind of in the know with South American and Central American gangs. You know, hey, what tattoos do I need to look for? You know, what what are certain things? And, and, and it's you can usually get a read on somebody. But from the moment these people join a caravan or, or you know, decide to make this trip, there is coaching everywhere. And I have seen, you know, illegal aliens, as soon as they hit the shore just be over dramatic and uh, of course there's a lot of emotion with that they finally made it to their destination but i think they are being coached it seems very obvious to me that they are being coached to just be just be helpless and you know and meek as possible because you know once you get placed in your city wherever your final destination is then you can go back to doing what you're doing but you know try to appeal to people as a uh, the, the thing that you know sister pemental uh, does all the time to say, you know, these are just scared, poor, you know, people that need help. And that's the, that's the PSYOP. That's what they want you to think about everybody coming across the border. So what is the answer to this? I mean, what can we do about this, if anything? You remember that guy, Trump? Yes. I think he had things figured out. And, and what I really don't like to see from Republicans is when they when they are kind of joining with the Democrats saying, we have to figure out this border thing. It's such a mess. And we have to. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Remain in Mexico quelled, you know, just about everything. People are not going to go live in some shanty town, you know, in Matamoros, right on the river, where they're not even allowed to really go into town. Um, and, you know, and they're not going to tell their, their cousins and their, their brothers and stuff to come up here when they have to wait on the Mexican side of the border for their asylum claim to be heard, because I would say over 95% of these asylum claims are not valid. And once you cross illegally, that should bar you. The first thing you do entering this country that you want to be a citizen in is, is a, is break the law, a felonious, you know, action. 
I, you know, I think you need to get the heck out. Exactly, exactly. So the bottom line to um, this situation with these NGOs, these non-governmental organizations, uh, these nonprofits um, that claim to be religious organizations like Catholic Charities, um, we need to cut off the funding, and uh, we need to go back to keep um, the uh, asylum seekers on the other side of the border before they cross. Correct. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know that's that's funny that you say that about these. You know, it's a religious organization. Well, think about it. It. I mean, they have just been a money maker for so long. They have a board of people that make decisions, right? Do you think in these meetings they're really going? Well, what would Jesus do? What What is our religious scope on this? Or are they just about business? Would they really let religion hamper their business practice and their flow of income? That's just a question I think everybody needs to ask themselves. <laughs> Very good. I like that question. Yeah, that's that's a very adequate, that's a very, very good question to ask. Taylor, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, tell the folks where they can follow you, buddy. Well, thank you for having me. So you can follow me on Rumble, Twitter, Facebook, and all of the social media at RGV Truth. RGV Truth, Rio Grande Valley Truth. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Taylor Kramer. And uh, keep up the good work. We'll get you back on again soon, buddy. Thank you, sir. You have a good one. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Matt O'Brien, who is Director of Investigations for the uh, uh, Immigration Reform Law Institute in Washington, D.C. And uh, I wanted to get him on because he has just finished doing a uh, report uh, of walls that are working in one part of the world, but uh, for some reason... uh, they're not working here in, uh, or they don't seem to think that they will work here in the United States, particularly on our southern border here with, in Texas. Matt, thank you very much for being with us, buddy. Thank you. Tell us, uh, tell us about this situation, this report that you just did. Sure. So uh, we took a trip to Israel uh, along with Tom Homan, who was the uh, former acting director of ICE, uh, so that we could meet with some folks from the uh, Israel Defense Forces and take a look at Israel's border walls. And what we found, and it's just painfully obvious when you're in Israel, is that if you build the wall right and you take it seriously, the walls work. We saw it in action, and this has resulted in like a 90 to 95% reduction in illegal immigration everywhere it's been tried in Israel. Wow. Wow. Now, what's very, very interesting about that is how people, uh, liberals here in, in Texas and in the United States, say that we should not militarize our border. Um, and they, they say that Israel has a militarist border, uh, well, because I guess it's, it's got to, to defend itself, but at the same time, these same people are the ones that say that uh, Israel in some way should not even exist. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Israel has the issues with terrorism, but as we discuss in this report, um, Israel has a lot of problems with illegal migration, just like we do here. Uh, in many ways, Israel is kind of the United States of the Middle East, and there are lots of people from all over uh you know, what used to be called in geography Asia Minor, uh, certain parts of, of uh, the portion of Asia that Israel is part of, uh, as well as Africa, that are trying to get into Israel because it has a democratic government, it has a well-developed social state, and it has lots of jobs. And so, yes, they have to worry about Hamas and, and Hezbollah and all of those kind of things. But they also just have to worry about the same kind of garden variety illegal migration stuff that we do. Uh, you know, criminal migrants smuggling things in and out, people smuggling migrants, and just plain old migrants, some of whom aren't even Jewish, who want to come over the border so that they can work and live in Israel, which is a beautiful, peaceful place. Um, so, you know, this this 
thing about the militarization is in many ways, I think, a red herring that distracts from the real conversation that we should be having, which is, does a physical barrier work? And our experience in Israel was that, yes, and it's, it's painfully obvious that when you build the kind of wall that President Trump was trying to build on the southern border, and you set it up correctly with the right personnel and the right technology, it is a force multiplier, and you can control four times the area with a third of the people. Now tell us about the elements of it, because I would imagine that a that a border wall, uh, that like the one that Israel has, is uh, is more than just bricks and mortar. What what is it? Well, it is. It's interesting. Most of the uh, the border walls in the world are actually fences, and what we saw in Israel uh, was a combination of uh, what's called wire mesh fencing, which is heavy duty wire fencing that's strung between steel posts. And in most cases in Israel, uh, there was a double or triple layer of mesh fence with razor wire in between it. Now, in a lot of places in Israel, um, they don't have the width along the border because things are built up to put those two or three layers of mesh fence. So what they do is they use concrete walls Uh, composed of concrete slats that fit together almost like floorboards. Uh, They're still reinforced, and they usually top those with a segment of mesh fence and or barbed wire. Now, the interesting thing about all of the walls in Israel is they either uh, put the foundation of the wall low enough that you can't dig under it, or if they're using fence, they make it wide enough so that it's not practical to dig under it. And all of their barriers, whether made out of mesh fence or concrete wall, are uh, backed up with watchtowers, observation points, cameras, electronic sensors, and some of them in the terrorist-heavy areas um, actually have some weapons that are mounted on posts. Um, that are controlled from a control room so that if they have terrorists inbound at, say, a vehicle or something like that, they can respond to it adequately. Wow. Now, um, we may have the impression, or many people have the impression, that people coming into the United States just want to come to work. However, the fact of the matter is that the cartels are bringing tons of fentanyl as well as they have caught terrorists. So it's not like the border that we've got is, uh, it's not dangerous to Americans, correct? And we, you know, a border, a, a wall such as you're describing uh, is very, very much uh, something that's needed. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think the border we have now is is dangerous to Americans and it's dangerous to migrants because the cartels are in control of the border. They own the smuggling routes, and this is a business proposition for them. Now, if you put up a wall of the kind that President Trump was building that they can't get over, they can't get through, and they can't get under, then you have effectively hit the cartels right in the wallet where it hurts. Now, The other thing to keep in mind is that you're always going to get people who will somehow defeat the walls. We had an incredible experience in Israel. Uh, The IDF along the border with Lebanon uh, is uh, along an agreed-upon line in the map called the Blue Line that Israel and Lebanon in a number of the wars uh, managed to negotiate as a standstill line. So the Israelis have treated that as the border. They have put up barriers. And we went into a tunnel that was dug by hand by Hezbollah. What they did is they went to the nearest Middle Eastern equivalent of Home Depot, and they bought concrete core bits, those giant drill bits that you see in your local home improvement store that are for drilling out sections of concrete so that you can run conduit or you can put in, uh, you know, hoses for air conditioning units and things like that. And they drilled into the limestone down into the ground with these things. They must have gone through thousands of the bits with uh, battery-powered electric drills and they took the detritus out in wheelbarrows. They went down 200 feet underground, carved a staircase, and then carved a staircase back up and went 200 feet up 
on the Israeli side of the border. And we went down into the bowels of this thing. It was amazing. It was wired with lights. It was wired with telephone communications equipment. Uh, it was it was really amazing. So if you have people who are oh my gosh committed Incredible. enough, they're they're eventually going to find a way to get around these things. But here's the interesting thing: because there was a wall above it, they were forced to take these extreme measures, and because the Israeli defense forces man the walls and they have sensors all over the walls, they detected this before it was able to be used in any kind of a terrorist attack or a smuggling operation. And basically they shut the whole thing down. They they collapsed part of it and filled it with concrete. They kept the other part as a museum to show people just how dire the situation is. But that is the exception that proves the rule. They don't have people climbing over the wall. They don't have people cutting through the walls. Uh, they don't have people that can get over it. So the only option that remains is this extreme option of taking five years to build a tunnel at, at great personal risk to the people who were drilling the tunnel and with the likelihood that it's rapidly going to be discovered. So th these arguments that it doesn't make any difference if you put up a physical barrier on the border are being made by people who are completely ignorant of the situation or people who have chosen to be willfully ignorant because they don't want to see a wall go up for political reasons. That's got to be true. That's got to be true. Um, final question. I know that there are other com uh, other countries, Eastern European countries, that have also uh, reverted to um, putting up uh, fences to uh, stop illegal immigration. Do you know anything about that, like in Poland and in uh, Austria and other places that, uh, that they've done that? Uh, yeah, I do. They've actually been quite successful. A uh, good friend of mine who is a professor at the Institute of World Politics um, is from Poland and is an expert on Polish national security. And the Poles have built uh, a wall that's very similar to that that is being used by the Israelis. It's been extremely effective. Hungary has done the same thing, and so has Austria. Um, you know, the fact is these things are not a catch-all perfect solution, but what they do is they're a force multiplier. So the way we do things now in the U.S. is reactive. Border Patrol agents are on patrol, much like police officers on the beat. And when a an illegal alien is either observed by the Border Patrol agents, by someone who calls in, or by an observation post uh, crossing over the border, then the Border Patrol agents have to react, and they have to get from where they are to where the aliens are. If you have a physical barrier and it has the right sensors and cameras and equipment on it, then you know exactly where people are. And a distance back from the wall, you can have people stationed to respond to these things at reasonable intervals, excuse me, with fewer people. And it's much easier to, to respond to these things. And in fact, this works so well that the Finns have built a, a wall of the type that you know, has been used by the United States, by Austria, Hungary, Poland, um, by Israel to defeat unlawful immigration. The Finns have put this up because they believe it's going to be a barrier to troops from Russia coming over the border uh, if there's a conflict that develops to the two nations. So I, I think that's proof positive. If, if the Finns... Uh, who take their border security very seriously because they had a border that for years during the Cold War was with the Soviet Union and now is with irredentist Russia. If they're willing to spend the money to put this up and they're willing to use it as an early warning system and protection against uh, infantry troops and scouting parties, and the Israelis are willing to use this both for defeating illegal immigration and terrorists, then it makes no sense for us not to be doing this along the southern border. Oh, amen. Bottom line, would you suggest that we have such a such a fence at our southern border? Yeah, I think the two important lessons that we drew from the trip to Israel is, first of all, walls work. We saw it in action. And second of all, the one place that Israel does not have any kind of a major wall is along their border with Jordan. But Israel has a phenomenal relationship with Jordan. 
and they don't have to worry about people coming over because unlike the Mexicans who will let anyone cross over on their way to the United States, the Jordanians have taken a hard line and said, we are not allowing terrorists or anyone else to unlawfully enter Israel. When you have that kind of relationship with your neighbor, you can make this work without a wall. However, even in that situation, the the agreement is never going to be as unbreachable as the wall. And I think that's proven by, by the case of Israel and Egypt. Uh, Israel and Egypt got together when Israel decided to build the wall. And the Egyptians said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll work with you to do this. And it was so successful that the Egyptians built one just like it on the other side of the Israeli wall. They're in the process of, of finishing that up now because the Israelis had such great success with it. Wow. Folks, we've been talking with our good friend, Mr. Matt O'Brien from the uh, Immigration Reform Law Institute. Matt, thank you very, very much. This has been extremely eye-opening. Thank you. Have a good one. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got a new uh, exciting guest with us, my friends. Ms. Kira Talib-Sanchez, who is the um, a county attorney for Clegberg County in South Texas. Now, for those of you who uh, uh, are not native Texans, for those of you in other states that are listening to us, um, Clegberg County happens to be the home of the King Ranch. And the King Ranch is uh, often mentioned in uh, in uh, movies like um, Lonesome Dove and even recently uh, in uh, 1883, the uh, series follow-up to Yellowstone and a few others. I mean, it's a very, very famous area that uh, of Texas. And Miss um, Sanchez happens to be the uh, county attorney for that. Plus, she recently switched parties, which is why we are interviewing her. Uh, the Republican Party uh, is making some headway in uh, in in uh, South Texas, and um, we. Uh, I just wanted to ask her what uh, encouraged her, what uh, motivated her to do that. Uh, so, uh, Attorney Sanchez, welcome yes. to the show. Thank you very much for being for taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, so let be, let's begin first of all. Tell us a little bit about your background, uh, and then tell us why you sw- switched parties. Okay, well, I was uh, born and raised here in Kingsville, Texas, which is in Clayburgh County. Uh, my parents are from Mexico, from Paras, Nuevo León, Mexico, and uh, my brother and I are first generation here. Um, from here, I went to University of Texas at Austin to get my bachelor's degree in English, and then I decided to go to law school and. Uh, did a little bit of immigration law and decided to move back to Kingsville. And um, from there, I became assistant county attorney and then got appointed as county attorney. And I've been here nine years, so basically two and a half terms. And I was a Democrat when I when I first came into office. So what what was it that uh, motivated you to switch parties? Because, uh, you know, historically, for those of uh, those folks that don't know uh, about South Texas, it is a very, very much dominant Democrat stronghold. Uh, Yet here you are in Clegberg County, which is one of the um, uh, strong places of strongholds in in South Texas, um, uh, switching parties. What what uh, encouraged you? What caused you to do that? Well, uh, before I became assistant county attorney, I wouldn't say I was very political. Um, Growing up, I always understood Hispanics or Democrats, and it was almost just an understanding (laughs) is how I saw it. Um, And those those of you who are Hispanic Americans here in South Texas, I think would understand that that statement. And once I got into office um, and started seeing a little more what goes on and getting more into the politics of how things work, I started realizing, you know, I I really feel like my values and what I think are more aligned with the Republican Party. And, um, you know, historically, Claiborne County has been mostly Democrat. But in the last 10 years, we've seen a big change. You know, at, at the time when I was uh, assistant, one of our, our county judge, our current county judge, Rudy Madrid, ran Republican. And 
we've been working together hand in hand since then and he's done such a great job for our county and jm lozano who's done so much for our community as well who's also switched to republican and that's always where i felt i i felt more comfortable and i felt like my ideals matched the republican party and so now i just decided it was time uh the democratic party has kind of moved so far left that it just doesn't align with what i was raised with and what i believe in and what what is beneficial to my to my county wow i you know th- that is really really interesting how you say that that your values um uh, i personally have been accused quite often uh of not uh, of being a, a white racist if you can imagine uh for um being conservative for being republican and uh you know it uh, are you uh not um concerned about you know those uh, kind of accusations out of uh, no i have had just since i switched i have had I've seen some comments and i've had people asking me like how can you do that and i beg that begs the question well this is a free country and i have a right to choose and i choose to be part of the republican party and that that's my right as an american citizen and um so I don't let it bother me because at, at the end of the day, my job as county attorney is not political. I do I follow the law, whatever the law is, and it's just to prosecute and make sure that justice is served. And I did this switch because that's how I personally feel. And, you know, my job has shown me a lot. I am the director of the Specialized Crimes and Narcotics Task Force, which they proactively target criminals that are engaged in trafficking narcotics, weapons, currency, and persons. So I've seen it firsthand what's coming through the border and we have a need for security and we have a there there is a problem in this country and like i said because i have this law enforcement agency under my office i do see it firsthand you got it uh very very interesting let's let me ask you about that specifically because the um the issue of the border is a very very hot one we've got i've got listeners uh, in other states that uh, you know regularly will send me a note and say is it really that bad uh, what what do you see? What do you th- uh, what are your thoughts about what is going on at the border, particularly in your county right there? Yeah, and since our county, I would say, is, uh, um, not exactly, it's just about two hundred miles from the border, but we have the checkpoint is one county south of us, which is Kennedy County. So, my task force, we see a lot. We we were one of the first ones to uh, stop fentanyl coming through here. Um, we see weapons constantly, narcotics you know, coming north. We have weapons going south to the cartels, smuggling of persons, monies that are being made by trafficking. You name it, they see it. There's lots of bailouts in this area because they'll walk around the checkpoint and then the pickup is usually in South Claiborne County where they're from there, they're, you know, taken to Houston or wherever they're going to go. There's lots of bailouts. Our ranchers deal with it. And so here we, we do see it. And sometimes maybe not, the town of Kingsville won't see it, but because, like I said, because of this task force I have, they do see it. In fact, now Border Patrol has even, um, they even have a Border Patrol agent that's in our office as intel because we also help assist them because of the smuggling that's going on in this area. Mm. Let me also ask you this, because we talk to, to, um, to sheriffs and county judges in South Texas on a regular basis. Uh, that are on the show, and um, they flat, you know, are running out of money, or many of them have run out of money, except for the state helping them. But they've run out of money in uh, in in uh, protecting citizens, or in arresting uh, uh, aliens, or in uh, chasing uh, uh, vehicles. I mean, they've run out of money. Uh, what is Clegburg County's um, the impact of all of this on Clegburg County? Well. Right now, like a task force will also, we get forfeiture funds from some of this illegal money that's coming through. Uh-huh. Um, but we do see, we have a, less deputies. I know that there's been an issue with people even applying to be officers. There's almost, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's a shortage, but not as many people as applying. And right now is really when we need the most law enforcement. Right. Uh, so that impacts us. And um, so that's been an issue here. You know, our our jail sometimes is full. That costs a lot of money to run. Sometimes we don't have enough deputies, you know, for our law mm-hmm. enforcement agencies. And that, you know, that, that becomes a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we hear that all over the place. We hear that a lot of folks 
the the profession of law enforcement isn't uh, doesn't seem to be uh, what it used to be in the eyes of a lot of people anymore. That's yes. kind of sad. And we've been assisting, you know, with Operation Lone Star. Um, that has helped with, like, our agency goes and helps other counties that have a surge of, you know, smuggling going on. They'll assist each other. And so Operation Lone Star has allowed for these all these agencies and counties to work together to try to help the situation. Wow. We're going to let you go, but before we do, can you tell? Give us any thoughts. Tell us your 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 thoughts uh, now that you have uh, changed parties. Uh, do you have any kind of message for other folks about about this matter or uh, the direction that America is going in? I'm just really happy to say that I'm part of the Republican Party, and I'm hoping to share this mes- message and build a winning coalition here in South Texas because the Republican Party is doing what's best for the United States. And I feel like their ideals and everything that they're doing for for us is, is what's going to help the United States and protect us. You got it. Thank you very, very much, folks. We've been speaking with uh, Ms. Kira, uh, or should I say attorney, county attorney, Kira Talip Sanchez from Claiborne County, uh, Texas. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know how busy you are, but we're going to want to get you back on the show because uh, our show focuses so much on immigration. We really, really would like to get your perspective of what you're seeing uh, on a daily basis down there. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. My friends, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. I want to ha- thank our guests today, Mr. Rob Hunter from Phoenix, the uh, part of the team of Russell and Hunter out of K out of uh, KFYI uh, in Phoenix, uh, AM fifty five hundred. And uh, I want to thank Taylor Kramer from Rio Grande Valley Truth. I want to thank Matt O'Brien from the, Ameri- from the Immigration Reform Law Institute in D.C. And I really, really want to thank Ms. Kira Talip Sanchez, the Clegberg County Attorney. Thank you all for joining us today, my friends. Uh, please tell your friends about our program. And we will see you again next week. Same time, same bat station. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Till next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.